James chapter 1, verse 12 is our passage for today. I wanted to first start off with a kind of like a question, something to kind of get the uh, theological juices flowing. <clears throat> something I've been thinking about this week, but if you were to try to think of, if you were considering the, the most, I guess, devastating things going on within the church today, what would be the two things that, that come to mind? I think a lot of times people think, oh, like political divides or the woke agenda or LGBTQ stuff or, you know, inerrancy of scripture. There's all these different things that, um, that we tend to focus on and say these are the major issues in Christianity right now. But as I think about what's gone on through our church, when I think about conversations I've had uh, with, with people of our church, I, I tend to think it boils down to, the, to these two things. <clears throat> the first one is we think too highly of ourselves and then we think too lowly of God. I think those are the biggest problems that we see within the church today. The reason I say that is because we make plans, we set things into motion, right? We budget, we do all the things that we're supposed to do. And then when our plans don't quite work out the way they should or the way we think they should, we get upset, we get bitter, we get frustrated, right? We blame God, well, how could you do this to me? All those kind of things come to mind. <clears throat> and it's all kind of stuff. Um, man, people lose jobs, they lose loved ones. There, there's family drama, there's marriage issues, uh, failing health, there's, the list goes on and on. There's all ty types of trials that go on in life that we, we that we use to think more highly of ourselves and too little of God. Um, it could be said this way, if we're thinking scripturally, but also trying to put these words into, or these thoughts into words, it's like if I was to say, right, the, in the last drama, traumatic situation I've had going on in my life, like, Lord, I planned my steps. How dare you direct my path? Right, like that's that's the thought process that goes through our heads. I, I planned all this stuff out. How dare you direct me in another direction? How arrogant is that for me to think that I know better than God? And like I said, I get it because you know tragedies are very difficult to to deal with to navigate through. But that's essentially what it comes down to. We think too much of ourselves and our plans, and we think too lightly and lowly of God and His plans. I feel like yesterday for me was a prime example of that. Um, you know, I had a pr pretty busy, busy week this week. And I mean, this not every week's busy and all of us have stuff going on. But, you know, taught Wednesday night Bible study. We buried a friend of ours, dear friend, Friday. Had to prepare for both of those and prepare for Sunday, along with working and all the normal stuff, right? And so um, this isn't me looking for pity. This just this just what it is, right? These are things that God has called me to and I need to do. But in my mind, I'm like, okay, I planned this out well, studied, prepared, started last week doing some of the stuff. And I'm like, Saturday morning is my time to get my sermon done, right? I've, I've prepped for it through the week. Uh, I just need this time. I need, just need this block of time and I'll get it squared away. Well, as things normally go, right? They don't go according to plan. Um, all kind of stuff was going on. I could not focus, uh, just all, all sorts of things, right? All sorts of things. And 
I love planning, I love organizing things and, and you know, trying to plan out the way things go. And <clears throat> by 10 o'clock, I'm like, you know what, it's just, it's just not gonna happen the way that, that I'm planning it. And the, the cool thing about it, the providential thing about it is, as I'm thinking about our passage and trials and remaining steadfast, before 10 o'clock, I was like, man, I can't seem to, like, I understand what's going on in this verse, but how am I going to present this? How, how was God ministering to me with this verse so I can share it with you? Well, it hadn't come yet. Well, like I said, as providence would have it, all this adversity began to arise where my plans were changed. And I was like, you know what? This is what God is trying to use to teach me in this time, right? And so hence came that moment, and it was, it was cool to be able to recognize what God was doing and how he was teaching me and so yeah the day went as it was right was it a a beautiful smooth day because I had finally seen what God had done and what he was doing absolutely not it, it wasn't that easy of a day but the thing is like it was like okay well this is what the day is this is what God has direct this is how God has directed my path and so I could either be I can either remain steadfast and trusted in him through it, or I can be stubborn and just force my own way uh, through that time. Like I said, by God's grace, um, you know, he helped me through that. Now, why do I say all of that? Why is this where we're going and why is, you know, where, where is all this leading to? Well, I think when we think about perseverance and steadfastness, endurance, uh, patience, I think we have like somewhat of a skewed view of what those words mean, what they are scripturally. Um, because none of these things are inherent in me. I don't, I don't have any patience. I don't have any endurance, any perseverance. I, I, don't, I don't have steadfastness in and of myself. I want what I want. I want it when I want it. That's, that's who I am, selfishly. But these things, perseverance, steadfastness, patience, endurance, all these things are gifts from God. Right? And, and as I rely on God and his grace, he's the one that I receive the strength to get through all of these things. And then my desire is to seek to reciprocate that love that he has shown for me to others. Right? That's, that's what we do. Rely, receive, reciprocate. Um, I'm trying to use an alliteration for one of my brothers here. He, he knows how much I like alliterations. And so I figured I'd throw that in there. But that, those are going to be our points for today. Right. Those are those will be the three things that we look at within this passage. Reliance, receiving or received um, and reciprocate. That's how we're going to break this verse down. There's two commas. So it kind of works perfectly uh, for you grammarians out there. We can take each little chunk individually and get into it. So um, I really hope that as we get into this time, as God has used this to minister to me, that he'll minister to you as well. So let us go ahead and read our verse for today. James chapter 1, verse 12. And uh, we will pray and then get right into it. All right, here is our verse for today. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. That is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us, let us pray. Oh Lord, our God, we, uh, we need you uh, 
uh, desperately, Lord, to speak to us in this time. Lord, your word tells us that you use the foolishness of men to shame the wise. I'm definitely one of those fools. So I, I thank you for using this crooked stick to write straight lines uh, to speak to your people as a vessel that pours out the things that you've poured into me. May your people hear you today, follow what you command, and may we all be edified by it. If there be any that do not know you in a personal way, may they cry out like Paul says in 1 Corinthians that, there is, that God is in this place, and may their faith and trust be placed in you as you uh, regenerate their heart. I thank you so much for what you do and how you do it because your ways are far higher than my ways and your thoughts are far higher than mine. And every day I, I get more and more rem reminders of that and how much more I, I need you. We all need you. <clears throat> I thank you, Lord. We praise you. Uh, we trust you. And we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's first look at reliance in the first part of our verse. And let me reread it. Uh, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. So the questions I want to ask as we look at this chunk is what does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to remain steadfast? What does it mean to remain steadfast under trial? That's, that's what's going on here. What, what do these words mean? What does it mean as a whole? Uh, how, what does it mean within the context of this, this verse and this, um, this book? Well, first, let's look at the word blessed. Blessed is the, is the English translation of the Greek word makarios. Um, it's the same word that's used in the Beatitudes when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who mourn. You know, all those verses in chapter 5, it's the same word that's, that's there. And the word blessed or blessed carries the meaning of, of inward peace, of serenity, of uh, spiritual security and assurance. Uh, but more importantly, it carries the meaning of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the favor of God that rests upon his people. This is in opposition to the word cursed, right? When you think about someone who's cursed or, or whatever, this is the exact opposite of that. If someone is cursed or something has been cursed, um, there is no hope for that person or that thing. But in blessing, there is every reason to know not only uh, that, that to know that you have hope, but to experience even in the experience it even in the smallest aspects of your life. To be blessed is to be rest assured that God is sovereign, that He is King, and that He will work all things together for your good and for His glory. Now, when I say all things, I, I mean all things, all sorts of things, the embarrassing things the traumatic things, the tragic things, the, the great things, the boring and monotonous things, and, and everything in between. Not one aspect of your life goes unnoticed by God and has no purpose. I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had with people, whether here at the church or outside the church, uh, that are Christians that have gone through tragic and and terrible things, uh, and, and although no two stories are the same, you, there's like a common thread in all of them. And it, it sounds sort of like this, because I know this is the way I felt as I've gone through those situations in my life. It's, like I said, it's not word for word, but this is basically what you hear. 
I would never want someone, I would never want to go through that again and I would never wish what I went through upon my worst enemy. But if I had not gone through that situation, I would have never trusted God the way that I do. I would have never relied on God the way that I do. I would have never prayed with such desperation in the way that I did if I hadn't gone through what I went through. Hence why we see in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, James is telling us, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, before we move on, what does it mean to be steadfast or to remain steadfast under trials? Well, the, the word, it's, it's these two words, remain steadfast, is one word in the original language. And it means to remain, to not recede, to not flee, but to endure or bear bravely and calmly. Now, as I thought about that, I'm like, okay, that's, that's what it means to remain steadfast. How, how many of you, by a show of hands, during your scariest, darkest, most trying times in your life, wanted to remain in them, not flee from them, or to endure them bravely and calmly? Nobody, nobody thinks that way. But the sad truth is, and it is true, pain is a great teacher. I was thinking about this, and I may have told this story before. Maybe I've, I've no, I've shared it with people before. But when I was like 13 or 14, um, I had my first summer job, and I was working with my grandfather, and I was excited, like ecstatic about it, because um, I I adored him. You know, whatever he wanted me to do, I would do. Like it didn't, it almost didn't matter. Um, I just thought so highly of him. And, uh, you know, so one summer I'm like, okay, getting up early, about to go to work. We're making the drive to where we're going, unloading the truck, getting ready. He's a tile setter. So we're like bags of uh, thin set and grout and tile and all the tools. All right, we're just getting ready. So then we get inside and he's like, you know, we're, we're in the area we're about to work. And it's like, you know, the house has been gutted and all that. And he's like, hey, hold this nail for me. And we're going to nail it down over here. I was like, okay, whatever. You know, like bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. I'm the complete innocence in this situation. And so I like, I hold it for him. And just like any great wise man does, he proceeded to not hit the nail, but hit my thumb. Right? Didn't smash it, but hit it just hard enough to where I really felt it. Right? And I'm like, mm. Like, what, what are you doing? You know, I didn't tell him that. Right? So my grandma, like, just in my head, I'm like, what is, what is this about? He's like, don't you ever hold a nail for someone. Don't ever do that. And I'm like, you could have just told me. You know, I'm like, man, what? Have I held a nail for anyone since? Absolutely not. No, no, it ain't, it's never happened. I'm scarred for life. But pain is a great teacher. And just like my grandpa did, God uses pain and suffering, trials and hardships to teach us. Now you may ask, well, why does he have to use pain to teach us? Why couldn't he just tell us what he wants us to do? We can learn that way. Well, we got this book right here. It's got all his words in it that he's told us. You have full access to it in paper form, on the internet, on your phone. It's readily accessible. 
And how often do we listen to that? How often do we read his word? Mm, right? Ouch. What I'm saying is don't, what I'm not saying is, oh, if you read the word, you're going to have no pain in your life. But what I'm here to tell you is we, like sheep, tend to stray. He's given us instruction, and we don't, we don't want to hear it. And sometimes it's that pain that tends to be the greatest teacher. Now, the last thing I want to talk about on this point is steadfastness, right? When we talk about this word steadfastness, I don't want us to think it's, it's someone that's just like an immovable object, right? That they are just... The, the grittiest, toughest, all that stuff. That's, that's not what we're talking about. Steadfastness is about you steadily and firmly fixing your eyes on Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Relying on him completely as your source of life and strength. Right? He is a true vine. Right? We, we are the branches off of this vine. If we break off, we've got no life left in us. We need him desperately to feed us. So going back to the word, we can read the Bible every day. We can read it. We can memorize the whole thing. And if it's only knowledge in our heads, all it can do is puff us up. It does no good in the face of adversity. But if we take that knowledge and it is applied to our lives through the fear of the Lord, it's wisdom. Right? It trains us. It, it gives us everything we need. And it's that fear, that, that, that reverence and, that, and the trepidation that compels us to bow before the king and to humbly plead with him for the grace that we so desperately need to live our lives that he has called us to. That... That is steadfastness. That's what steadfastness is. Now let's talk about the next thing, which is what is received. It says, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Now before we talk about what is received, let's talk about who receives it. Now some translations take this, for he has stood the test, or for when he has stood the test, as for when he has been approved or when he has passed the test. Most translations kind of use one of these three uh, ways of translating these words. And they're all great ways to translate it because they all point back to the same thing, which the original word is dokimas, and that focuses on authenticity. That's what that word focuses on. And so I want to take this uh, comment from a commentator and theologian. His name is Donald Barnhouse. Uh, and, and see what he says about that word in the original language. Listen to this. I found it, I found it really interesting. He says, in the ancient world, there, were, there was no banking system as we know it today and no paper money. All money was made from metal, heated up until liquid, poured into molds, and allowed to cool. When the coins were cooled, it was necessary to smooth off the uneven edges. The coins were comparatively soft, and of course, uh, many people shaved them closely like whittled them down. In one century, more than 80 laws were passed in Athens to stop the practicing of whittling down the coins then in circulation. But get this, but some money changers were men of integrity who would accept no counterfeit money. They were men of honor who put only genuine, 
full weight money into circulation. Such men were called dokimas. And this word is used here for the Christian as he has been seen, or has, excuse me, this word used here for the Christian is as he is to be seen by the world. So these money changers were men of integrity. They were authentic. They were genuine. They were honest men, right? This is what this verse is referring to, authenticity, genuineness, right, integrity. So what does our verse say again? It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. So what did we already say about remaining steadfast? Well, it's not about someone who's stronger or who stands head and shoulders above every other man. In fact, you wouldn't spot him in a crowd because the man that we're talking about here, he's the one with his head bowed on his knees, crying out to God, relying fully on God's grace because he knows he cannot do it on his own. Steadfastness is like the woman with the blood issues that we read about in Luke 8, who only desired to touch the hem of Christ's garment. We read in, in Luke 8 that she spent all her money, all her living, desiring to and trying to get this resolved, this issue she had been dealing with for 12 years. She did everything in her own power to rid herself of this problem that she had. And it led nowhere. It got her in no better than what she was when she started. But she knew, if I only touch the hem of his garment, he can heal me. Blessed is the man and the woman who relies on the Lord. When their reliance has proved itself genuine and without ulterior motives, they are ready to receive the crown of life. Now, I cannot tell you how many times I would have sworn on my life that I was praying for something without ulterior motives, that my prayers were selfless and, and God-centered, and I was just pleading righteously, only for God to break me and prove me wrong, showing me that I only wanted my prayer answered the way that I wanted my prayer answered. Once again, proven, proven to me that I think too highly of myself and my ways and too lowly of God in his ways. Now, we all know Jeremiah 29, 11. It's a, it's a beautiful verse. It's a beautiful promise that God has given. But how many of us know Jeremiah 17, 7 through 10? Right, we can we can pretty much spout word for word twenty nine eleven, but what about seventeen seven through ten? I think that passage speaks to our passage today perfectly. I mean, God's word there is no confusion. There's order in everything He says, but I see lots of correlation just with the way it's worded here and what we see in our passage today. So Jeremiah seventeen seven through through ten says this: Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is the Lord. That's verse 7. Verse 8 says this. This is what trust looks like. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. And it does what? It does not fear when heat comes, 
for its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. What kills a tree? Heat, drought, right? Those are things to fear and be anxious about. But the one who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord, does not fear, is not anxious in the midst of these things that they see. So I ask you, do you fear or get anxious with the heat and droughts of your life? Verse 9 continues. And I want you to listen to these two verses closely. Listen to what it says. It says, the heart, which the heart, it's not talking about the beating heart. It's talking about the, the seat of your will, your desires, your emotions. That's what it's referring to when it talks about the heart. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's a rhetorical question. I can't understand it. You can't understand it. We can't do it. So who can understand the hearts of men? Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. That's heavy, right? I think one thing, what deep-rooted, that desire down within me, what is that? Do they, do they match with what I'm professing and, and sharing with you? God searches the heart. Have you ever thought that the test God puts you through is him searching your heart and testing the authenticity of your will, desire, and emotions? Why do you think David says in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart, know my will, know my desires, know, know what I'm really thinking. Try me, he says, test me, and know my thoughts. He knows, right? David recognizes how wicked and, and sick our hearts can be, how deceitful they can be. We can get fooled into thinking anything is right. I can fool myself, you can fool yourself, we can fool each other, but there's no fooling God. He will test the heart, he will test the mind, and he will bring to the surface what's truly deep down in there. But for those who have trusted in him, who have called upon him, who rely upon him, you will receive the crown of life. The reward at the end of your days, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now let's look at our final point. Because I don't want us to get twisted like, well, it kind of sounds like you're saying one thing. Just bear with me. We're, we're bringing it all together. So our final point is reciprocate, right? We talked about reliance, receiving. Now we're going to talk about reciprocate. Uh, this is going to tie it all together. So let me reread the verse. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Which God has promised to those who love him. Now, when you read this verse, or this part of the verse, if your focus is on making much of man, how are you going to read this? Well, if I love him, then all this other stuff is true, right? Because it sounds like there's a contingency here about if, if, 
if I love him, then, then all this other stuff must be true. And I've placed man up here and I've lowered God. But if we read all of it in the context of what, what is true, what have we already established? This life, all of this is not about you. It's not about me. This is about your reliance on the one who has made the promise. It is about the one who has made the promise. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast, right? Who steadily relies on God's grace. When his faith and his reliance is proven authentic or faithful, he will receive the crown of life which God promised. But who did he promise it to, right? He promised it to those who love him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but why do we love God in the first place? Why, why is there, why, why do we even love God? 1 John 4.19 tells us we love because he first loved us. I wouldn't know what love is if Christ hadn't demonstrated it on the cross. I say that I love food and pizza, desserts. I love my cowboys, you know, uh, and we see love. Yeah, we're not going to go there. We're going to keep going. Uh, and we see love in movies, right, and, and TV. We see love displayed in, in all these different ways of, of what the world says that love is. And we think that that's, that's what love should look like. That's what love should feel like. That's what we tell ourselves. That's what we've convinced ourselves of what love is. But it's not. Love hung on a cross. Love said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when that wrath was poured out upon him, he said, it is finished. He said, it is finished. That's love. And because of that love, I can love God in a way that honors him. We love because he first loved us. Now, if you haven't noticed yet, anything good we have, it comes from God. We're going to get to that verse soon in, here in James uh, 1, verse 17, where it says every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, from whom there is no shadow or variation due to change. So anything good we have has come from God. Anything bad that we do comes from us, right? We wouldn't say the things that we say. We wouldn't do the things that we do if they weren't already in our hearts, Jesus clearly tells us out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? I, I can't say, well, I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't talked to me that way, or I wouldn't have done that if this wouldn't have happened. If it wasn't in there, it wouldn't come out. So through these trials, through the pain, through the redirecting of our paths, it's these things that God uses to purge all of that wickedness out of us. He brings that stuff to the surface so we can see it for what it truly is. It's sin against God. 
It's a lack of trust in him. It's making much of ourselves and thinking too lowly of God. And it's these trials that remind me of just how weak I am and how much I should be relying on God. And it's for all these reasons I am commanded and I desire to reciprocate the love that he has shown me back to him and to his people. So as we close, we've had lots of prayer requests that have gone out lately through the text threads. There's been lots of stuff. Um, And we're getting lots of reminders all the time about just how weak we are. Right? I mean, if, if we didn't need prayer, I mean, if we were strong in and of ourselves, we wouldn't need prayer. Uh, but we do need it. And I've, I've got no issue sending out prayer requests. I, I do it, and I'm, I'm sorry if you get annoyed by another prayer request from Pastor Laramie. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's what it is. I, 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 don't, I have no qualms about doing it. I send even more to our men's group chats when for the trade group. I'd send out stuff all the time. Even last night when I was trying to put together this sermon, it was already 6.30. I'm like, I'm just now typing this thing out, just now. And so I'm like, I need y'all to pray for me because I, I can't do this on my own. But there is, there's no part of me that desires for these men in these groups that I'm sending these prayer requests to There's no desire in me to make them think that I've got it all figured out. Zero. Now, I've got lots of other issues to deal with, but that's not one of them. Because I know, I know I need prayer. I know it. I need my brothers and sisters in Christ interceding on my behalf. And I need to rely more and more on the grace of God in my life. So you may ask, well, does that make you look weak? Does that make you look needy? And I'll gladly say yes. Because I'm no one's savior. I'm in desperate need of a savior just as much as you are. I cannot tell you how many times I've tried and tried and tried and tried and tried to do it on my own. And God being a gracious God and a loving God, oftentimes he's like, go ahead, try it. See how far that gets you. And it's in those moments I'm left crying out to God for help. I don't want to do this on my own. I can't do this on my own. Then I repent, and I humbly ask God for his grace, and it's him who answers me. Remember, the blessed man, the steadfast man, is the man who relies wholeheartedly on the grace of God. Faith in anything else is pointless and only leads to disappointment and despair. Make much of Christ and little of yourself by trusting in him for your life and all of life's answers. Let me close with a reading from Hebrews chapter 12. 
This is verses 1 and 2. This is after chapter 11, which is the chapter of faith, right, where we, we see all the, what they call the hall of faith, all these different people who, by faith, they trusted God and did this. By faith, they did that. By faith, they did this, which tells us they're not relying on their own strength. So they're just as in desperate need of God's grace as we are. Chapter 12 starts by saying this, Therefore, since we, have, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Witnesses are those who testify of something else. These, they're testifying of God's grace. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Praise God is right. Let us pray.